I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we're all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is Red All Over, your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Ta. Ta 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 ta. Well, if you were mad at us last ta, ta, ta. week. <laughs> if you were mad at us last week for getting Smash Mouth stuck in your head, ooh, baby, you're going to be mad at Bruce Miller this Woo-hoo-hoo. week. Because, gang, I have not stopped humming the uh, through-line song of this episode since I listened so, to it. So, yeah, I forgot that that even happened. Because, like, when you, you start... kidding me? I am not kidding you. Well, but I watched it yesterday, and you oh, watched okay. it today. Okay, so um, much time has elapsed. <laughs> okay, anyway, I have a lot. Okay, so I we don't want to get in right so now. so much to say, but I think we have some housekeeping. Yeah, so we're going to do some shout-outs to people who helped us on Venmo, and that's Venmo.com slash over. This is a free podcast, and your donations help us keep going, and I really appreciate it. Uh, so shout-out to Madison Corwin, never lose, always Corwin, Philip Cruz Levitt. Oh, I want to go on a cruise with you, Philip. Thank you for donating. Trisha Iglesias Belacheva. Oh, boy. That's a beautiful name. And I hope you are having a beautiful day. Shane Her, Get over her so I can give you a hug. You're great. Megan Humphreys. I used to work with a Megan Humphreys. Are you the same? Are you related to Dan Humphreys from Gossip Girl? We'll never know, but I think you're super. Katrina Lacombe. Oh, I think you look amazing today and you know what you said a really smart thing during that meeting and i hope you got appreciation for it lauren rafferty you are a party in my soul i don't know what that means but i think you do ali lawless Ooh, i am glad you are lawless because i do not want to confine you with legislation because you are too awesome to be contained kim bit oop Kim Biltoft, sorry, Kim, I stumbled across your name because I was just struck by your je ne sais quoi. I think you're great, Kim. And Jenny Crownover, oh, who would put a crown over you? Me, because I think you're a queen. Thanks for donating, everybody. Uh, and shout out to Redhead Abigail, uh, who uh, sings beautifully and who I met this week. Um, I also just want to say really quick that I feel like the phrase I would listen to so-and-so read the phone book gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. But I would literally listen to you read the phone book because I feel, I feel like you would add, you know, a little, a little editorial spin and make everybody feel good. So that's like one of the highlights of recording this podcast for me is listening to you read the Venmo shout outs. Wow. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks to everybody who donated to Venmo. I also appreciate you and the opportunity to hear Molly say nice <laughs> stuff about you. Goobers. Well, I'm happy to do it. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash read all over. And I'm on Twitter at Sirius Molly. And I'm on Twitter at Kelly Anakin. And uh, we've got lively discussions going on every which way. So come check us out. So this is season three, mm-hmm. episode nine, mm-hmm. Heroic. Mm. I want to talk to you about the title. Yes. But I think maybe at the end. Oh. Because I I don't know who is heroic in this exactly. Very interesting. Okay, so let's use that as sort of our North Star this whole time. So if you're playing along at home, <laughs> who is heroic in this possible bottle episode? Yeah, we like, didn't know what the parameters were of that uh the like TV term of 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 bottle episode means like a episode of TV that takes place in 
one place. Like, I think my favorite bottle episode is the uh, Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community. That's like a great, great bottle episode. There's also um, the one from Breaking Bad where <gasps> it's called Fly. There's a fly oh, so in their good. lab and it's just Jesse <sighs> and Walter White. I love that one. Um, you know, spoilers, there's a fly. <laughs> spoilers, flies do exist. It's a plot point. That's a good episode. Um, so we were conflicted on whether or not to call this a bottle episode or not because it, it is all within the shell of the hospital but they're kind of going in other places in the hospital but the more i and think do, about it but we do also get a scene i th- i don't know what the perimeter is on who needs to be in the scenes because we do get a scene that june is not in yeah only one though. i think it's only one yeah so does this is that a true bottle episode i'm gonna say it's a can episode <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like not quite. As you know what? You know what? It's a it's a six pack episode. It's a six pack episode. So I'm gonna argue. I'm just going to go ahead and say I think it is because it it takes place in a very like small space. Even when mm-hmm. they're going into like the operating theater, I have to imagine it's like really close by. Yeah. Um. The, it the whole episode feels very claustrophobic, and I have I to like say that. I was relieved at whatever point in this where I was like, okay, thank God we're not going to be in June's head this whole time. Yeah. Because the first part Ooh. of this was one of the most uncomfortable, non-pleasurable television viewing experiences I have ever had personally. Yeah. Speak speak on. Yeah. I just was very upset. They get into this a little bit later about basically June has broken the trust between herself and everybody that she interacts with in Gilead, but also with the audience. Mm-hmm. And they make... That's a great point. They make that subtext explicit in ways that I didn't necessarily care for. Mm. But I also think that I have trouble with it. I have trouble with June having voiceovers now for a multiple reasons. One, I think in this, she becomes kind of an unreliable narrator. I mean, she's obviously having some severe mental distress. So I'm like, so has she been trustworthy the whole time? <laughs> like, should were we correct to trust her before? Does mm. this cast her voiceovers and her perspective in the past in a different light? And then the other question that I have is... What is the viewpoint of this show? Mm. Like, I don't even mean like opinion wise, like what kind of narrator is this? Mm. Because we get a lot of scenes outside of June's head and it like there it's, it's possible in any work of art to have multiple viewpoints, but it's like with June, we do get this first person outlook And then we have the more third person stuff like with Aunt Lydia and Janine specifically in this episode or the doctor speaking to Carol's commander and Mrs. Commander. Um, But it's just like I just have questions about the overall arc and sweep of this because they play very fast and loose during the series as a whole in terms of like when is June having an internal monologue and when is she not? Uh-huh. Um, and I'm wondering if there's a pattern that I've missed. To my mind, it comes out this way. Like we've, I think June has been a reliable narrator through this up until this point. Genuinely, I do. And I think this was meant to illustrate sort of a crack. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting about the book versus this is the book is such a short time frame. I mean, genuinely, the book is like six-ish months, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we could literally go back and count yeah the not miss period right so we're inhabiting june's brain for about six months 
in Gilead in the book. So I feel like it makes sense to say June is a reliable narrator in the book because we only see her for sh- such a short amount of time. And it makes sense that June's voice in the book is as sane as it is because we only see it for a short amount of time. And truly beyond the, oh, I don't know, systematic kidnap and rape, nothing super bodily traumatic <laughs> happens to her, which is like a <laughs> shitty disclaimer, but like a worthwhile disclaimer. Oh, for this show, absolutely. So the thing that the show has to contend with is she is in Gilead for way more than six months. She's in Gilead for years. And I think what this episode is trying to show and has shown through people like Janine and certainly through Natalie in the prior episode is how Gilead cracks you. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time we're getting narration from a person who is cracked. Whereas before we've been outside watching Janine, you know, pretend to serve coffee or mm-hmm. we've been outside, though the, the direction certainly put us inside Natalie's head as she's she's pointing the gun. Uh-huh. We've been apart from and this is the first time in the show that we are inhabiting a body that is in a mind that is breaking down. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think her. I think you can her the arc of her VO in this episode is a real like starts from a very broken place Mm -hmm. and kind of claws its way back by the end. I agree. And I'm glad that they did that because Mm -hmm. I was about fucking done. (laughs) Like I also have a very hard time with mental health plot lines. Like this is basically why I stopped watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because I was just like I can't deal with this a lot. (laughs) I already lived through my own shit. I don't care to consume somebody else's entertainment. So I'm glad they pulled out of it because I was just like, podcast over. I'm done. I can't do this no more. Um, All right. Well, let's. So I I do want to now address like the central, like technical artistic conceit of using the song. Is it called Heaven is a Place on Earth? Yes. It's Belinda Carlisle. So my biggest issue was like, so is this parallel thinking or did the writer like just watch the Black Mirror San Junipero episode oh. and lift everything out of it? Wow, that's a good point. Because you have this song, you have a person who is incapacitated and unconscious. Holy fuck, uh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so that kind of ruined this episode for me. And it was so odd too because I feel like to an extent you could have written that into the script. What, San Junipero? Yeah. She talks about Amazon. So. She talks about Bed Bath & Beyond. That's she could have been so like, oh, funny. just like another. Like, it could have been vague. Mm, I think that would have taken me out of it in a not pleasurable way, but I see exactly but what any, you're But I'm thinking. just saying, like, the, the parallels are so strong. And that was very odd to me. That's a great point. I thought it was really odd that it got past everyone and went into production so with this song. That is so funny. I just I'm, thought it was bizarre. I'm looking. I would scream. I mean, this. unless it's also entirely possible that like Belinda Carlisle is just like out there like making mad stacks <laughs> after San Junipero. <laughs> you know, she was just like, oh, you can just make hella money because some show about some women wants to use your song. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it was parallel thinking. But even if it was parallel thinking, you have a whole writer's room. Yeah. How did nobody think of that? Of well, highly I mean, connected people who are very media savvy. But you know what, though? I will say there are things that people who listen to our podcast get mad at us for missing. And they're like big things that were like, oh, yeah, we had thoughts about that. We just forgot to, to articulate them or we did this. Right. So, but this isn't our full time job. 
I know, Kelly, but I think that we have to factor in that there could be a space where a room of like 10 writers who have been writing this thing for months and months and months and forget the scope of things. Like, I want to give them a mulligan of that. But the music supervisor in researching the rights in having all these conversations would have come across the fact that this song had been used recently. That's a fair thing to bring up as well. I didn't think about it. And so I can see why people didn't, but you're right. It's people's job to think about it. So I hear you. So at the beginning of this, I was very happy to see that Natalie is not dead because my note that I wrote was RIP of Matthew. (laughs) You were too good for this show. (laughs) Totally. Uh, But to me, it was like, oh boy, of course she's not dead. Nobody dies. No, I know. (laughs) So it was like a fake reprieve. So at least this actress made her day rate. Like now, do you think that she was there lying down the whole time? I don't know. (laughs) I was genuinely curious about that. I mean, she was probably in most of it. It might have been a stand in. But like, because that sounds like a dope way to get paid for a day. Be on TV. Lie down. Done. Yeah. If I was her, I would have like a back massager behind me the whole time. Just like, (laughs) like, hey, miss, can you please turn that off? It's messing with the Foley. Nope. Yeah, this is I'm an actress. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. We'll overdub literally everything. <laughs> well, I guess it we got to put in a song now. <laughs> it was in her writer. <laughs> uh, so, yes, she's been given a, a stay <laughs> of life. And stay of life. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of a stay of execution, I guess. I'm a goon. June's monologue is right. Once she put it in my mind that that is like the sort of metronome of that uh-huh. song, I couldn't unhear it. Um, and uh, I get why if you were sitting there thinking about nothing else all day, that would come up to you. Oh, totally. And I wonder, too, when she says, do you hear it? Who is she talking to? Well, she looks right at the camera, which is bizarre to me. And, like, has she ever broken the fourth wall in quite this way before? Well, yeah, there have been plenty of times when she looks right at the camera. But has she said you? Yeah. Like, having, like, this specific? Because I couldn't remember if she had or not. Gosh, I wish that I could... uh you know, Google through my thoughts and fi- and memories and find the exact. Oh, that's part. also an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I-, I feel like I remember her saying you to us. Yeah. And especially if we consider the framing device of The Handmaid's Tale, as we know in the book, it's her recording tapes. Right. To send out into <gasps> the universe. What? I'm sorry, keep going and then I'm going to say a thing. No, so it makes sense that she would use you. Okay. I will thread this through to the episode, but what if she made those tapes for her daughters? What do you mean? Oh, the 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 um tapes that we saw in the show, or you mean the the, the unseen like tapes the unseen from the tapes? Yeah, from the book. I feel like at the or, end of this- I mean at this point they are like at this point they are like a hybrid, you know, like. You know, we're in a very strange no man's land where like there's a lot of concepts from the book that well there's not a lot it's really just the tapes right like it's the tapes and it's the conference at the end like that's it that we yeah. haven't seen right so yes you're right and I think that's a perfectly valid reading of that that she's making it for her daughters especially with how this episode ends so um 
Which also, I got to say, uh, our redhead daughter, Tristan, I think you called a lot of what happened in this episode. So pat yourself on the back. So my first question was, why is she allowed to be in Natalie's room? I know. She tried <laughs> to choke her to death with her bare hands. And there is nary a guardian. There is apparently nary a security camera. Or like a lock on the sharps box. I like, mean. Jeez. They're like, no, no, let this python babysit the baby. <laughs> the python only killed one baby. It's, and it has such a maternal instinct. Yeah, let this you know, python. It's not, like, it's not like babies are our number one priority or anything in the safety of a baby. Such a goon. Reminds me so much of dating in my early 20s. Am I right? Yeah. And my other note was, I swear to God, if this is the whole episode, I am done. So I literally wrote those words. Oops. So congrats on that not being the case, <laughs> America. Yeah, I, I also had similar like kind of grumpy feelings at the very beginning of this episode because I wrote, especially with the music cue, I was like, do I love it or do I hate it? Do I love it or do I hate that it? That was this whole episode. <laughs> and there were things in this episode I loved so much mm-hmm. later. Okay. We're not there yet. Okay. Truly hated most of the setup. Like the first 20 minutes, I was enraged. So the exposition comes that she's been there 32 days waiting for Natalie to give birth. And what's interesting to note about this is how the doctors and everybody are very focused on the baby within Natalie. Mm -hmm. Natalie is basically like an incubator, which is really not that big of a step from where she was initially. And I Uh, mean, they make that explicit as well. It's like, you know, she's just a vessel. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what we are. Even when we're like up and walking around some weird Republican somewhere is like, sounds good to me. Okay. I will say I don't have a problem with keeping Natalie alive to potentially keep the baby alive. Like this is in a vacuum. Yeah. No, it's in a hospital. <laughs> it's a vacuum hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know how there's a hand clinic? <laughs> there's a hand clinic oh, and a geez. vacuum hospital. <laughs> uh, it's right next door to the American Girl Doll Hospital. Oh, girl. Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> I got feelings. So, like, okay. Basically, Natalie isn't available mentally. You know, there should be a next of kin to make the decision like do we continue to keep her alive so the baby can live that is not what's happening (laughs) what's happening is the state Mm -hmm. is now her next of kin and they're like uh we really only cared about the baby so it's like the situation itself this could like this could happen and like i would be fine with it like let's let me put it this way if for some godforsaken reason i were to get impregnated yeah and something happened to me where like I needed life support to keep the baby alive. Right. Like I would, and this is going to function as my living will. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're like on the table, almost dead. And they're like, well, we, they do a lot of, business at the beginning of the episode that we have to fast forward yeah. to, to, to like yeah i know i think those people on itunes are right they do cross talk too much <laughs> anyway but it's like i like if the baby could live yeah i would be like hey uh let that baby live 
Like, I'll hang out in weird, right. you know, Harry Potter, fetal, Voldemort, Dumbledore the land. The baby is Voldemort, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think the difference between your living will <laughs> and poor Natalie is that, um, you know, presumably at some point you would have talked to whoever is near to no, you. exactly. Like That's me and our listeners apparently who are hey. now executors of your will yeah they're not executors i think they're maybe beneficiaries but you would have had a chance to say hey my body belongs to me and as the steward of my body uh-huh. i'm saying it's okay to do this exactly whereas natalie didn't have any say well and natalie Hardly. wasn't the steward of her body when she became pregnant yeah, yeah, yeah. but i also think i don't know i i don't know i don't i can't decide how much she really wanted or did not want that baby yeah like that's how i, I, I have no worst. idea it's very ambiguous to me like was that just like a bad couple of days <laughs> that we saw right when she seemed kind of funky about it well, but like we were just talking about consent is murky when all of your decisions are made under duress uh-huh. like every handmaid no matter how you know quote unquote well she's treated or well she's adjusted all of her decisions are made under duress mm-hmm. unless there's like one weird lady who's like I'm game. I'll be a handmaid. And they're like, Linda, we hadn't even floated that. And she's like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it right now. I don't care. I volunteer. It's like, okay, I Linda. I volunteer as handmaid. Linda, you're the first handmaid, I, I guess. Hell yeah. Like, there's one. <laughs> I guess that could be Shannon, too, I suppose. Linda, um, you're the real one. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, she monologues for quite a long time. And I have to say, I didn't mind the uh, sort of smells soliloquy i thought that was interesting and cool so uncomfortable this whole time i think you're supposed to i know and i will say i do think like i still don't know how i feel about this episode Mm. like it is still very much in flux Mm -hmm. it's one of those things and i've seen other people write about this but like the episodic reviewing of television (laughs) is not necessarily an unmitigated good in that it is impossible for us to take into account where each of these episodes stands in relationship to every other episode. So it's like I, and you know, for some episodes like episode three is still my MVP for this season, but it's like, I have no idea Mm. where I feel like this episode belongs or if it achieves what it sets out to do, but they did very effectively, uh, (laughs) Dana Reed is the director and Lynn Renee Maxey is the writer. They put me right in her head and I did not care for it. Yeah. But they did it extremely effectively. And we talk a lot about how clumsy sort of Atwoodian things can sound when they're written by other people. And I thought, you know, Lynn Renee Maxey really nailed it with the smell chapter, with the smell The smell thing was great. The thing about the poop. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Maggie Atz would have written that. Yeah, Maggie Atz is furiously rewriting I mean, honestly, testaments right if now. Maggie Atz's prose had a smell. It would be this sort of like flowery but fecal, yeah, like stank. There is something like that about it. I definitely think it's like a a rose that's been stepped on. I liked that part. I thought that was in interesting. a pile of manure. In a pile of caca. <laughs> You know, and I think it's interesting. You mentioned before she talks about Amazon and Bed Bath and Beyond, and then she mentions two bits in Gilead's timeline that are worth thinking about. She mentions the internet raids and the decency codes. So I remember, I think from the book, the decency codes, 
They yeah, don't talk they... about the internet raids because <laughs> in the year that it was written, uh, we didn't have no internet as we know it today. Yeah. I, I think Al men- Gore was but a twinkle in the inconvenient truth of that eye. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. Um, the decency codes, you're right, is something they talked about, I think, in relation to like uh, rooting out sex workers and gay mm-hmm. people and that kind of thing. They closed down uh, the sex mobiles. Yep, that's right. Which is funny because that wasn't a thing at the time either. That was her, <laughs> as I mean, I don't know what the 80s were like, but Belinda Carlisle was I don't everywhere. Know what the 80s were like. <laughs> there weren't sex mobiles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Because no, like, that was my mom's nickname. Oh hey, yo. No, it wasn't. She's very. Uh, now they're just called Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I going before I got off the silly, silly train? Oh, internet yes. Raids. Um, internet raids. I wonder what that means. I wonder if we're going to be really like, if that has to do with like net neutrality stuff and like what's happening right now with like the FOSTA SESTA of like getting sex workers off of these digital platforms. Something to think about. This notion of decency codes also reminds me of this really great uh, Kurt Vonnegut book I just finished, which is uh, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. And it talks about how it just talks about the notion of like what led to, I don't know, but just about the idea of like government enforced morality and Mm -hmm. what that means for people. Uh, It's really interesting. It's so fascinating, too, because, you know, we talk about American freedom being foundational to the country granted this is gilead not america (laughs) but when we talk about white people coming to colonize this land they were not about freedom (laughs) like they wanted the freedom to be more restrictive like that's (laughs) what they wanted (laughs) they wanted to come to america and be like all right everybody it's the vvh let's go (laughs) freedom too. freedom too. well (laughs) they wanted the freedom to (laughs) have freedom from <laughs> so and I mean and I think Gilead having seen this Washington DC episode where they've like co-opted the entire city you know they're like let's get back to our puritanical roots <laughs> shall we agreed uh the next sort of shot is the she notices like a line of little girls very Madeline style uh popping by the window and she kind of questions whether or not they're real yeah and this you know she doesn't look good. No. From jump in this. No. So I was very unsettled and off balance for most of the episode because I was like, what is, she, what is happening? Yeah. I was like, and, and because the hospital rooms Ugh. themselves are so starkly white, I was like, is this going to be a fucking Dallas situation? And like what it was all a dream. Oh, <laughs> not the city, the television show starring Patrick Duffy. What were the eighties like? I'm sorry. It's like I have to raise you. <laughs> I mean, you did give me cookies and lunch earlier, so basically, That's true. I did actually do that. Um, that is interesting, and I'm glad that that wasn't the case. <laughs> no, like because like basically, once I was like, nope, this whole thing is made of nope, and then I was like, the only thing that could make this more nope. Is if this was all a hallucination of some kind. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's kind of a cop out, I think. Um, oh, this is just for like the 1% that listens to us before they watch the episode. Whatever. But um, this is your real, body, your choice. This is a real gory episode. And if you don't like close up bodily stuff happening, um, 
skip it. Skip it. Skip it. It's skip not. It. Skip it. Dee boo boo da bop. But the very best thing of all, oh, there's a counter left on that ball. So you can <laughs> save your very best score. score. See then if you can skip, skip a whole lot more. That was from the musical Skip It by Hasbro. <laughs> Just kidding. Somewhere in the Hasbro office, someone's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> yes, I will write the Skip It musical. I've logged plenty of hours. Oh Any my gosh. Way. You plus Lynn Memo Miranda, please. Can you even imagine? The, the all people of color skip it musical <laughs> this summer like, on Broadway. Honestly. Honestly, that's a great idea, Molly. It would be called Skip It. Uh, yeah. So perfect. Okay, excellent. Anyway, you want to know what the 80s were like? It was pretty much just skip it. <laughs> so where, how do I land this plane? Um, <laughs> yes, I loved the that it was in the hospital. I think the color blocking against this canvas of white, white hospital uh-huh. is especially stark. And I think it's a great way to shoot this. Um, I have to say, Emos's physical acting in this one part in particular is just mwah, gorgeous. Like when it's nighttime and she's been kneeling all day. Mm-hmm. presumably all night and she gets up you know how she- it is when you got to get up from an all-day sesh of punitive <laughs> kneeling yes uh yeah so sh- watching her struggle to get up keeping came- vigil at your frenemy's bedside <laughs> relatable right <laughs> um, was just very gorgeous acting and yeah i think she did just like incredible physicality there i really liked that so he did have a lot of logistical like when does mike mulligan go to the bathroom type <laughs> i did want to know here. when she goes but to i mean it seems like once i realized she got to like go to bed yeah. and like sleep i was like okay i was like calm it down june so i was kind of wondering though because i think the scene where we see her actually lying down in bed comes after she has that conversation with aunt lydia i think Mm -hmm. so i wondered if that was her being offered a bed i don't feel like it would be physically possible me neither and it's like when is she eating yeah when is she defecating yeah um i thought it was gonna be like a secretary situation we were gonna see it happen (laughs) yes that is the thing i took away from secretary get off my back (laughs) i took away when he comes in and he feeds her like that drink i guess it's a milkshake and i'm like i just want somebody to do that for me and then strap me to a tree and fuck me welcome back to kelly hannigan's (laughs) problematic boyfriend (laughs) this week we have ramsey bolton (laughs) robert california from secretary (laughs) and a myriad of other weird bows um his name is mr gray oh (laughs) mr edward gray he'll always be robert california to me okay that's fine (laughs) anyway all righty you know what honestly writers this is your fault. If you if you give us stark, beautiful scenes where not much happening, we're we're gonna run around with it. So anyway, because uh, it's hard to discuss cinematography on a podcast. I don't know why. I don't know why that like that is the thing though. It's like the the logistical bodily stuff. Well, and this got brought up as well by a number of redheads with the the mouths being wired shut by the way redheads we don't have any intel you don't have on that yeah we don't know but like someone some redhead messaged me no preamble no nothing like it's at like five o'clock in the afternoon and it just said how they eat sinus infection question mark what they do and I said, I, I messaged back because I was like, I, I recognize these thoughts. <laughs> so I said, um, did you mean the handmates with 
the mouth rings and they just sent me back the thumbs up emoji. And I'm just like, I have failed you this day. I do Ooh. not know the answer to any of those very valid questions. No, I- <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing. They use like proper connecting words but to me yeah, it just looked I, like oh my god i was at best. work and i got a message it's like oh you have a message to your podcast oh i wonder what it could be how they eat <laughs> i don't know i'm sorry i'm about to fucking pee myself i wish i knew how they ate no, i don't and, and you know there were other concerns around like nutrition uh, for the babies and is it a piercing i don't or know we don't open know wound? We don't know. We're pretty sure they were just like, it looks cool. The end. Honestly, I think um, that's the case. Anyway, so I also don't know how June poops or... <laughs> I don't know how anybody poops, I really. love that children's book. Everybody poops except June in this one bottle episode. Oh, man. Did you have more to say on that before I um, went to crazy town? Oh, just the fucking red rawness of her knees. Oh. Unbelievable. Truly. Horrible. So she gets up to go to Natalie's bedside. Oh, the I think she said this in w- the monologue where you know she has she has to be there until there's a baby. Right. Oh yeah. Aunt Lydia said she's your walking partner. Where else would you be? Ugh. But that is playing very like yeah. She's a walking partner. They ain't walking. Like. They don't spend 24 hours a day together. And if you wanted to punish June for trying to choke her, maybe you could have done it in the previous episode and prevented this entire random, like, jar smashing on Janine gun battle that happened at Lowe's and Fishes. Hmm. Like, it's really far too late to punish June for this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Despite wanting... To make Gilead strict again. <laughs> this is just, again, it's just so lackadaisical. They're like, yeah. oh, we're just going to throw known problem handmade. Just leave her in, in a medical facility with no supervision. What, what could go wrong? I know. It's so redonkulous because what did she do? But I'm a little surprised it took her like 32 days to think of this. But what does she do? She goes and just boop. <laughs> she pinches the breathing tube. Yeah of natalie and it's interesting that Na- i mean you know if we want to get like really symbolistic here natalie is tethered to life in a very like machine version of like an umbilical cord basically yeah and she's being treated like a baby she's being like her pee is taken care of mm-hmm. like everything is so like in service of treating this baby they're treating natalie like a baby and it's just really interesting but they also this chilled me to my core because June says they're not giving her anything that would harm the baby. Mm-hmm. So she could be in a coma and in horrific pain. Oh, I think that's what horrific they're not saying. Horrific pain. For sure. Certainly <gasps> when she's like seizing and yeah, stuff. Yeah, she definitely goes full Reagan in The Exorcist. Oh, boy. And then speaking of movies, June tries to go full million dollar baby on her and uh oh man is that what happens in that movie i can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny <laughs> you never seen the movie no it's a good one i try Sorry. not to watch clint eastwood movies uh, okay which kind of happened after that movie came out but uh, anyway bummer. it's a good one i like hillary swank she's great wood bang oh okay cool yeah 
Um, so are you Hillary Swank? Give me a call. (laughs) You still married that Chad guy? Uh, I no, 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 decidedly not. Um, um, the beeper starts the beeper. I'm just going to call it the beeper because I'm not a doctor. Oh my God. (laughs) The beeper. (gasps) Okay. All right. Is that a thing? Is that an infomercial? Like beep on beep off beep on beep off the beeper. (laughs) Anyway, so okay, for Christmas, I want a beeper and I want to skip it. Okay, perfect. So the beeper starts going off and the doctors come in. I'm surprised nobody was like, hey, you, um, you close her tube? <laughs> <laughs> if I was, if I knew who June was and I saw poor no, Natalie. Oh, like, and there's several times where June fucks with some shit and yeah. people come in immediately afterward and at no point are they like, oh, but should we like, I don't know, handcuff you yeah. Or have literally anyone who is not in a coma in this room with you? Yeah, they just keep being like, what happened? Yeah. Or even just somebody being like, wow, it's too bad we're so short-staffed. There's nobody to keep Say an eye something. on this wild-ass <laughs> handmaid over here. But again, that was part of what was pushing me. Like, this is all just a big hallucination because yeah. there's no way. There's no way they'd just be letting her. Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> it turns into an episode of Grey's Anatomy and all of a sudden the fray starts playing. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, They stabilize Natalie. Then it comes to the next day. It opens on a shot of Natalie's pee bag, which is also like bumping to the sound of heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> I like that... Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Catheters are a place on earth. (laughs) Exactly. And I will say, I like the due diligence of the gore in this episode. And by gore, I'm extending that to mean like we saw pee as well. Well, Uh, and yeah, and I, the note that I wrote is, what is this, the Nick? Like, (laughs) it was so full on body horror. Yeah. The whole, like, there was no respite. And I, like, I do appreciate the show's recommittal <laughs> to body horror mm-hmm. in a sense mm-hmm. i do feel like they're kind of trying to get back to some of the like horror that we yeah. felt during the ceremony i did feel like that like that was this was their version of that especially with some of the scenes coming up well and it seems i mean gosh we're nine episodes in we haven't had a single ceremony. Praised be. Which, you know, and I'm glad for that, but I'm not sure that from a storytelling perspective, I don't know. The other question I have logistically, um, isn't June being there all the time fucking around with her fertile window? I know. I thought like, for sure she would use that as be- sort of a Hail Mary. Well, she shouldn't have to. Right. Like, if it is Aunt Lydia's job to make sure as many people have as many babies as humanly possible, yeah. she should at least be getting a semination pass. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. So we see the handmaids there praying. Alma says to her what I think a lot of us have wanted to say for to her, which is, hey, pray, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Alma is like the unsung queen of this show because she's constantly being like, hey, tell your face to, yeah. to remember it's Gilead. They mention Janine being self-conscious about her eye. I love how cute Janine is when she says, it's gross. Um <sighs> Madeline Brewer Ooh. is so good in this episode. She she's had so little to pickles. do this season, but she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and they have sort of the doctors come in as Natalie starts to seize, I believe. And is. that's when Aunt Lydia basically, she's like, okay, girls, prayer time is over. Yeah. Please leave. But Aunt Lydia lingers behind <sighs> and she says, 
Well, and we see the doctor who I became increasingly attracted to. Thank you. As this went on. Okay. Because I was, I was like, because he came in and I was like, Silver Fox? And he's not quite a no, Silver no, no, Fox. No. He's more, he's like a fit bear. Yeah, and definitely. And I was like, are you hot? And a, then he, a yogi, if you will. Yeah. He's a yogi. And like, he left and I was like, I don't think he's hot. And then he came back in and I was like, oh, He's hot. Babe, I had the exact same sort of reaction. And as always with any man I think is cute in Gilead, I reserve cute judgment till the end of the show because I know anytime you see a bay, they're just seconds away from doing something reprehensible. Absolutely. In this show and in life. Um, uh, but I think we can safely say uh, Doctor was cute. Yeah, Doctor was cute. Seems like a semi-woke bay. Yeah. I have... But he is the kind of character I've been wanting to see more of. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, so you're like going along to get along or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that's But we'll get to that. Um, so Aunt Lydia is watching them as they stabilize Natalie and they cut her femoral artery. Yeah. You okay? You yeah, okay? that was hard for me to Do watch. Do you need to take a minute? No, no, no. Okay. They've cut the artery to relieve pressure. Mm-hmm. on some part of natalie's body i was too busy throwing up in my mouth i'm not a doctor and also to help deliver fluids more efficiently right to the baby right aunt lydia says what wondrous miracles the lord works through these doctors and i'm just like ah! just i just ah! the the hypocrisy of religious people when it comes to medical intervention really burns my toast it burns my toast and grills my cheese too because it seems to me like and i don't mean to be flipping about in vitro because i understand it's like more a bigger process than i know about but Uh it seems like if you're here saying doctors are conduits to miracles to me the miracle that could help your fertility crisis that doesn't involve raping people systematically is like hey can we put some healthy eggs in you yeah no and i i (laughs) Which I know is, again, a flippant take on in vitro, but like all I have but are flippant takes. But it's not takes. a flippant take on like, why is this happening? And I see this come up a lot in like criticism of the human rights abuses happening at our border, mm. where everybody's like, the cruelty is the point. Mm. And I think that's true in Gilead. The cruelty yeah. is the point. And kind of going way, way back to that flashback episode was that epi- was it in season one where we saw Nick in the car with all the commanders and they were talking about like the handmaid's thing and like how do we get the wives on board? Yeah, I think so. Uh, anyway, I I have a lot of questions and you know the the impression in the book is just like oh like in vitro has failed somehow, yeah. mm-hmm. but we see a lot more robust medical everything in yeah. the series. So it's like why is this one thing apparently right. not on the table? Yeah, it does it does strike me as strange. I like too that at the very beginning of the scene, the doctor says, How is our patient? And he's talking about the fetus. Yeah. That's and really I like I half clocked it and then later I was like, Oh yeah, he he meant it. Yikes. I was like, Maybe he doesn't mean it. So at the end of this sort of cutting of the artery scene we see a nurse or co-doctor or whatever. Sorry, sir. I don't know your rank. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think co-doctor is a... It's not? A I, think, I think it's probably a resident. Okay, cool. So we see him, like, look at June and then put a scalpel in the sharps box. Um, to me, that red is like a... You want? And then he put it in there. But I don't... I think that's Yeah, I mean, me. I would just be like, why the fuck are you still here? That could be um, more of it. And I think right before this, though, Aunt Lydia is walking out of the room... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. 
this was so upsetting. Yeah. Did I cry? I cried at some point in this episode, but I don't think this was it. She just looks at Aunt Lydia and says, can I please go home? And I wrote, let her go home, please, because I hate this. Yeah. And shit, I don't know who says, are you sure? Somebody says, are you sure? Oh, Aunt Lydia said... I don't know if it was Aunt Lydia or like how, because like there are situations where like June is speaking to no one, right. like with her mouth. Uh-huh. But um, I think Aunt Lydia says, God doesn't give us anything more That's than we it. can handle. Mm-hmm. And yep. June's face when she says, are you sure? And it's so sincere yeah. in a way we rarely see from June. Totally. Like whether she's being active June or whether she's being like passive book June or mm-hmm. just straight up dumbass June. <laughs> just the naked like mm-hmm. complete existential uncertainty. Yeah. And once again, Emos, face acting champion, three years running. I'm also curious just makeup wise, how do you chap a person's lips? That was interesting. I just would be fascinated to know that. My guess is that you would use like a spirit gum yeah, or something, something to like, like uh, breaks and, and then crackles. yeah, and then you can yeah, you can Ugh. pull it apart. Fascinating. And I know like she doesn't wear any makeup for this show. And I will say like genuinely her skin looks great. I know Luminous. it's supposed to look busted and yeah. it does, but you can tell underneath she has like really pretty skin. Yeah. Um <laughs> anyway, I love people's skin. Um <laughs> not in a like Buffalo Bill way, but just <laughs> I was in like gonna a, say, uh okay. I was struggling and I feel like I'm getting to the other side of it myself. So anyway. Oh, skin wise. Skin wise. I was like, we just took a break. <laughs> <laughs> no. You need more fluids? No, no, no. You need more cooking? No, no, no. I need more facial confidence. Um so then the next scene was the hardest for me. She does this basically like saw trap experiment where she is like rummaging around in the discarded sharps box. And we get a lovely shot of the camera inside the box and her hand going in like the claw from Toy Story, of course. Uh, And the thing that hurt me the most of this episode was when she brings her hand out and there's the needle in it. This yikes horrified me. Uh, I said this is too much, yeah. which I rarely will say in any horror context. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is I can't. This is too much for me. Also, just like the germ factor. Yeah, I was thinking rummaging that too. around in a sharps box. I was just <laughs> like, no. Yikes! It has hazards on the side, <laughs> and that was something else I thought about oh. in terms of like all of like you know Gilead uses symbols to communicate most things. But it's like that's also very common in like hospitals, like anywhere that people might not all be speaking the yeah, same language. Uh-huh. So that was just an interesting little like side path that I didn't yeah. wander out down long. But uh, if you want to take a stroll, it's there. Yeah, remember in the first episode of this season when I said the official sound of this season is yeah 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 yeah. That was a yeah yeah yeah. It was in full effect moment. Um, five yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, my next note just says fuck, dude. Uh, so that's how I was feeling about that. Um, but she eventually gets the scalpel out. And this was interesting. The next thing she says, oh, she secrets this scalpel away and kind of goes towards Natalie's bed. And she says, you don't, f- I think she says, you don't fool me. You're already dead. Yeah. 
Which or is, I know you're not in there or something yikes, like that. Yikes. Um, well, hey, listen, great news, though, because uh, Janine also was allowed to just wander I around know. unsupervised. You got to put a bell on these gals. They're just wandering around like, willy fucking nilly. you have restraints in this hospital. Janine, Janine, <laughs> Janine walked in with like an ice cream sandwich and was like, I went to the kitchen. I got a cup of coffee. Like I played some <laughs> Tetris. I don't know. I had a great time. She's just freeballing it around this hospital and i think that's negligent <laughs> uh, but it worked out in this case because she was able to save poor natalie from death at the hands of june and we get this great thing this actually really worked for me um with Jan- like for the first time ever janine and i are in complete agreement huh. because she says and this worked for me because it sounded like a line that janine would say yeah that made sense but she said you're different <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> when did you become so selfish? And we're like, yeah, the, no- the end of season two. <laughs> the note I wrote is, wow, June, getting raped, kidnapped and abused really changed you. <laughs> <laughs> like the way you would say someone in your band, like, it's sold out. <laughs> but I think you're right. It does fit in with what Janine would think because Janine is fully bought into this. Well, and I loved this complete role reversal. Yeah. Because God. if you recall in the Rachel and Leah Center. That's a great point. You know, Moira basically put June in charge of Janine because Moira knew that she was going to bounce. That was in the book. I don't know that that quite happened in the series the same way because June and Moira were going to get away together in the series. Right. But they did. There There was, you know, explicitly said, like, look after. Yeah. Janine. You can't like you can't let her do this. Yeah. And this sort of idea of like killing her with kindness and like, or I guess killing her with cruelty. <laughs> Gotta be cruel to be kind. Some cliche. <laughs> so Janine now is the one who's in her right mind. Yeah. And Oof. June is the one like grinning like a jack-o'-lantern about yeah. to murder an unconscious woman and her baby oh and it's yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's upsetting it is so uh you know and and janine doesn't do anything like go tell a person that june has a scalpel um because yeah. snitches get scalpeled in this situation accurate <laughs> june could just go figure out where she's at and nobody would be the wiser yeah. apparently yeah there's not even a nurse's station like well. i guess they probably don't think you can have male nurses <laughs> it's very like meet the fuckers type yeah. situation in here <laughs> yeah who knows um the scalpel lives a scalpel another day <laughs> So the next day, I think we get an interesting sort of nod that this is not going to be a Dallas dream situation mm-hmm. when the Calhouns, who are Natalie's That's their names. family, I couldn't remember family. them. So apologies for calling them Commander and Mrs. Commander earlier. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we're not a commander friendly podcast. The Calhouns come to visit Natalie's body. And well, they come to visit their doing. fetus. Yeah, they come to meet us, the fetus, and um, so that I didn't write that joke. Uh, they, I think uh, Jack from Will and Grace wrote that joke. Um, it, I am dying. <laughs> that's one of my favorite jokes. Um, oh my god! They react to the little girls walking outside of the window, so we know. If it's a delusion, they're all having the same delusion. But yeah. it really hints to the audience that June is is going crazy, but not 
imagining people who aren't there crazy. Yeah. The girls have been real the whole yes, time. But we couldn't have known that till now. Also, I think, is this at the point where they say monarchy? Oh, baby. I, I was thought, so glad. I, th- I thought it was Menarche. I also thought it was Menarche. It could be Menarche. It's like how, um, you know, if you just don't have somebody on set that day that knows how to pronounce it, yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah monarchy. <laughs> um, which seems odd that a the episode directed by a woman would maybe not know that it's pronounced that way. Or we could just be well, goobers. And, and here I will play devil's advocate in the way that you play devil's advocate for Belinda Carlisle. Sure. But it's like, uh, you know, you have a lot going on. Truly. And really, like, it's like the line producer's job. Right. So, like, what was the line producer doing? (laughs) Were you the line producer on this episode? If so, please let us know how you actually say that word, because we're very confused. Because now I'm second guessing myself. I thought that, and and for those of you who don't know, menarche or menarche is like your first period, basically. Let's call the whole thing menarche. (laughs) You say menarche. But menarche sounds too much like malarkey. And that feels disrespectful of my ovaries. It sure does. Well, what is spooky about however you say it is they're saying that these girls have entered menarche, menarche, yeah. whatever. Uh, the bleeding. Uh, <laughs> Don't bring the body horror into this. It does seem like that's a rite of passage of Gileadian girls is like once you start your period, you have to go in for what I assume is like a super uncomfortable gynecological appointment. I mean, As, so you mean a gynecological yeah, yeah. appointment? Well, what made me sad, and this is my bias showing through, is like, they don't even have the option of getting a woman doctor. So They don't have the option of getting a woman doctor. And, like, I guess their moms are there. Yeah. We see later the mom of one of the girls. But it's like they they all seem like they have to do this by themselves. It seems sucky. And, like, <laughs> they look like 11 to 13 yeah. is how old most of them look. And, like you said, a gynecological appointment is bad and uncomfortable Even when i really like my doctor i don't like getting you know randomly fingered by a person i'm not having sex with it is not fun yeah i agree so it just my heart went out to these poor little babies right then and i think that june gets really freaked out by that as well and, um you know so this all had to have been written and probably filmed before all these heartbeat bills earlier this year so this is just another instance Yikes. of the handmaid's tale being like we're just trying to tell a simple story of a society gone horribly wrong Yikes. and then america going uh hold my beer <laughs> yikes yikes Pete bikes this episode now listen uh oh also june hide your scalpel better you fucking weirdo this, you're <sighs> in literally a glass cage of emotion and you can't like Put it in your damn boot, you psycho. She's not well. No, she, I mean, truly. She's I at be... the nadir of her scheming abilities <laughs> right now because this was not a good plan. No. At any point. And then, listen, we all have favorite characters and we all get excited when our favorite characters come. That being said, why the fuck was Serena Joy here? This was another mark in the is this a hallucination for me. Truly. Because I was like, she's in Washington living her best life. So you're like, why would me. she come to Boston where she would not be in a position to like be participating in the, you know, let's get Nicole back plan. 
it seems so weird. Like, it seems like we've never seen her interact with the Calhouns as far as I know. No. It would make sense to me if this was Naomi Putnam's kid that yeah. was in there. It would totally make sense for her bestie, Serena Joy, to be there next to her. I have never seen her hang out with Mrs. Calhoun. We've never seen Mrs. Calhoun. Exactly. So it seemed like, oh, how convenient. Serena Joy's here. It was like, basically, uh, Yvonne Sterhofsky was having lunch and they're like, oh, hey, do you want to be in a scene today? She's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's my Yvonne Sterhofsky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Just a moment. Oh, Serena's pissed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. <laughs> The only reason I want this show to go on one more season is because now that I have an inkling that the writer's room listens to our podcast, if she was like, I'm pissed, I'd be like, yeah, but I would like it better if, you know, Bruegel said it and was like, Serena's pissed. Oh, my God. I would would die. (laughs) So Serena's there uh, looking gorgeous, but looking gorgeous. And then. Let's just keep layering more frosting on the cake of unbelievability because June's like, Mrs. Waterford, I gotta talk to you. She's got a very stabby face on. It's a secret. No. And I'm like, what? Are you not fucking Brittany Murphy in that don't say a word movie? <laughs> I don't know, you know what you're talking about. I'll never tell. Oh, yikes, yikes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was on the early aughts mm. not the 80s i was there <laughs> um so serena improbably because let us not forget they are not on good terms they just had a big fight they just had a big fight <laughs> within earshot of a whole month of people <laughs> like they know like things are not good and yeah. also like you're not even her handmaid anymore yeah whatever so serena goes over there and like june has been like playing eeny meeny miny mo to Literally. decide is she gonna <laughs> stab the doctor uh-huh. or mr calhoun or uh-huh. mrs calhoun and then she's like i'm gonna do it on serena and then she just swings the scalpel wildly and hits her in the arm in a not like fatal fashion so it's like you know you're gonna come at the queen you best not miss mm-hmm. and serena like this was my least favorite line of the episode was when she said you were supposed to be one of the strong ones what does that mean i'm confused why would anyone ever say that yeah it was weird didn't like it but you you know all she would have had to say was i thought you were stronger than this or something but also uh she just said she wished that she had let you burn alive. So, so she is not like the biggest fan of you. Yeah. And also her trying to kill you. Is it really a sign of weakness depending on the circumstances? Anyway, whatevs. Yeah. I that it, felt like this, this interaction felt like fan fiction to me. It, it felt like it was not part of the show. And I will say, I'm going to definitively say I like this episode. I thought that interaction was like, to me, the weakest part of this episode, but I understand narratively that something big needed to happen to kind of shake her out of her stupor, I uh-huh. guess, or to illustrate what the doctor tells us in the next scene that like a homicidal urge is actually a suicidal urge in Gilead. Uh-huh. Like, I get that. I just, she could have taken a swipe at any of those other people. She totally could have. And in that same scene, she says something like, you shouldn't bother to help me if you're just going to report me. And I'm like, I don't think the doctor reporting you is problem number one here. The problem (laughs) is Serena going to report you. Maybe to give them more credit too, is like, maybe they're like, 
No, I don't want to give them. I was going to say, well, maybe they're like, well, Serena probably wouldn't say anything. But like, why wouldn't she at she this needs, point? Like she knows that June is going to do anything June can do to yeah. keep Nicole in Canada. It's in Serena's interest to yeah. land June on the wall at this point. This was a silly move. All right. Let's move on to the next nicer scene, I think. Which this is- was the scene that did it for me. Mm-hmm. I loved this scene mm-hmm. so much. So it's the doctor stitching up June's hand. They have a lovely exchange. I mean, again, as lovely as any can, thing can be in Gilead. <laughs> Wouldn't think I'd have to keep saying this, but here we are. A rose that's been stepped on in a pile of manure. <laughs> so they are start talking about being doctors and June mentions who her mom was. And this is where they got me. They this got is me. where I really turned a corner on me this too. episode because they know Cherry Jones is my kryptonite. Yeah. Even if she isn't present. Yep. So he says, no wonder you tried to swipe at her. Dr. Maddox was scary. Uh-huh. I love that. Well, and it's just, ah. I feel like we spend more time complaining about this show than we do praising the things that it does really well. But their characterization of Holly Maddox, mm. considering the very limited amount of time they had to film with Cherry Jones. And I mean, she's not like, she's not an active participant in this world. Right. Um, but like this scene was perfect. I agree. It was so perfect. This doctor, as I said, gave me the characters that yes. I want to see more of. Yes. Because it's like you have your, you know, we know who all the true believers are. But this is a guy, you know, I don't know. Maybe he has a family. Like he's probably just an econo well, person. And he's like, okay, this is madness. But I want to survive. I want my family to survive. I'm kind of on board with some of yeah. what they think like i'm just gonna ride this out yeah and try to help as many people as i can yeah. and like he he definitely gives the impression of having drank in at least some of the gilead kool-aid because we get very like heavy confirmation he's like oh yeah. you know like i am definitely treating the fetus like and this brings up something else I want to talk about. I wonder if this is where... Oh, yeah. This is where I want to talk about it. I read this very fascinating article, and I'll post it on our Facebook page so we can argue about it. <laughs> um, it was about this policy of baby-first hospitals. Are you familiar with this notion? I'm familiar with the notion of putting the baby first, but I didn't know there were hospitals that would do that, like, as a matter of course. So, and it means a lot of things, and I'm just going to paraphrase this very long, very well-written article. It's sort of the certification you as a hospital can get if you do X amount of things that show you prioritize the care of the infant in a certain way. So one of the things that they do in this sort of ethos is they say, okay, instead of the sort of pretty common thing where if you give birth in a hospital, uh, we'll take the baby at night so you can kind of rest and then Uh we'll bring it back to you. In baby first hospitals, as I understand it, their theory is... No, we want babies to breastfeed, so we need them to be there all the time. Uh And we need you, the mom, to be kind of watching them all the time and breastfeeding them all the time. And so this seems like a good idea on paper, but it's a bad idea potentially in practice because it means you don't get any rest in the hospital. It means like you are kind of bullied into breastfeeding when you don't want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like not a thing that works for all. So it was just interesting having read this article about sort of in theory it sounds good to be like yeah babies are important i get it but in practice it's ignoring the nuance of womanhood and the nuance of your birth experience so not a you know direct tie but just interesting to think about it's worth it to, 
I think he says something to her that I think really sort of sets her on her course is I'm honoring the handmaid's life by saving her child. How will you honor your daughters? Which I loved. Yeah, I like that too. And I want to go back because there's a couple things here. He makes a reference to the fact that he advised against June being in the room <laughs> in the way that she is because her brain and her muscles would atrophy. Yeah. Um, oh. Just a reminder to everybody that solitary confinement is inhuman torture. So if you're looking for something to make a phone call or write an email about, try and get this barbaric practice to uh, be abolished in America because mm-hmm. it is absolutely one of the worst things totally. that can happen. Totally. And one of the things that I have trouble with watching the movie Oceans 8 because Sandra Bullock like casually references like getting tossed into solitary so I could think and I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> but he also says something like, you know, when he's talking about any homicidal thought in Gilead is suicidal. He's saying, you know, they should have, you know, something, something put you on the wall. And June should have been like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I have plot armor. It's the (laughs) biggest plot armor that has ever been forged. Uh It was forged in the depths (laughs) of a Tolkien hell. But shout out to the writer of this episode, because I think this exchange was beautiful. This is, you know, this is another one of probably like, I wouldn't say that I would rank it quite as highly as the scene between June and Aunt Lydia mm. in the Oppression Dickie episode, but it is up there. It's probably top 10. <laughs> like, I don't know what the other eight are, but <laughs> maybe in my copious free time, I will make a list of my top 10 favorite two-handers in this show. So the next scene is the beeps are increasing. We notice a tiny blot of blood on Natalie's sheet. We lift up the sheet. Uh-oh. Something's a bleeding. Yeah. So birth has begun. I wondered about this because I think it's pretty common because like what the body will do mm-hmm. if the body knows the body can't sustain this life, the body will just be like, shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Not to give anybody ideas about the body shutting things down because right. it doesn't really do that. Uh-huh. But it's like, yeah. you know, there's there's only so much time that yeah. a body that is being artificially kept alive can also keep another body alive. Um, Yeah. And they mentioned in a scene prior that the Calhoun's, which is like a a crappy way to say this, let's say Natalie's baby has like not fully formed lungs, but they think that's something they can take care of in the NICU. Well, and Um, they were hoping that the baby would be in vitro for a couple more weeks. I think. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, what does in vitro mean? It's like the process by which you put something in there. Okay. Um, I think so. Once again, not a doctor. Yeah. Uh, and in utero is that Nirvana album. I, was, I knew you were going to say <laughs> As soon as you started, I was like, give it a sec. She's going to do it. Ooh. So this baby is born via very graphic cesarean. Yeah. Um, like, oof, move over McDuff. <laughs> uh, so they take out this very uh, comical to me, tiny baby puppet. And uh, I wrote down, I bet it's really satisfying to do fake surgery. I agree. I stand by that statement. (laughs) So then they take the baby out and you can hear them kind of aspirating, using the suction on his little face. And just like I do every time I watch Call the Midwife, I like let out a breath of air when you hear like the tiny baby cry. cry. So the baby lived. The baby lives. And one of my favorite lines of like very incidental dialogue in this whole thing. Yeah. Where the doctor has said, oh, she's still alive. Go ahead and close her up. But he says to his resident, like, you could use the practice. And I was like, sick burn on this dude. Uh, I thought that was so gruesome, but like very good dialogue. (laughs) Uh, Because it's just sad. I don't know why 
it didn't bother me. Like, I do. You are dark and alternative <laughs> and have a heart made of charcoal. Have I told you about the Nirvana album in utero? <laughs> oh, God. Get me out of here. We're so close. <laughs> We're on the final descent. <laughs> so June, good, true to her word, was going to leave as soon as that baby came. So she packs up her suitcase. Natalie is still going. She's alive somehow. still. And um, June has suddenly decided that she likes her. <laughs> Like, you know, there are some things like gunning down a whole mountain troll or seeing a person you were acquainted with almost die via scalpel <sighs> that bring you close together. Yeah, but she also tried to murder her recently. Yeah, you know, like very friends, recently tried to murder her. do that. Remember the second day of our road trip? Come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she's going down the hallway to leave and she's seen by a little baby girl. Yeah, so... My biggest question, which really, I mean, it's just my eternal question in Gilead, is like, why is this little baby all alone? Why are they letting so many people be unsupervised? My mom wouldn't even let me go to the mall by myself. (laughs) And that was 2006 and not in Gilead. So that's making me think my mom might really like it. So the girl, uh, for plot reasons, Mm -hmm. asks if she can carry June's suitcase. Yeah. And I'm like, to where? Yeah. You can't go out of the yeah, building, Yeah, you're not allowed you to leave. I don't know. It's, you know what? This is, she's, a, she's, this is a radical experimental free range hospital. <laughs> she's like, I just have um, I have one thing left to get my junior uh, program aid IP. And so I need to, uh, I just nearly need to do an active service real quick. That's right. I know Girl Scout talk. So they're having a little conversation and the girl says, you know, they say... Like, I can have babies, not yet, but when I'm married, and she is 10. Like, yeah, 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 she's yeah, yeah. so, I mean, also, it may just be that I keep getting, <clears throat> it may just be that I keep getting older, <laughs> and, like, young people are terrifyingly young looking. Like, I feel like, you know, when you get to be 70, like, you know, uh, 10 year olds look fetal. Yep. You're just like, you are not born yet. What are you doing walking nope. around? It scared me too, and I think it's meant to. They picked a particularly young looking cherubic. Yeah little girl to say that and june asks her you know is having babies what you want and the girl says with this like the vacant stare of someone (laughs) who has been hit into saying this of course so much reminds me of eden it does remind me a lot of eden i think that's intentional i think they cast her to look a lot like eden i do like i don't know Granted, June's also not probably completely in her right mind yet, but I'm like, <laughs> why bother even asking if that's what she wants? Like, if you do awaken something in her, she's just going to get killed in 10 yeah. years. I think this is sort of the beginning of her crusade. Considering the fact that she and the doctor have just had a whole conversation about do no harm. Yeah. Oof. So then, so the mom comes and picks up this baby. Well, she is also just like, hey. Don't talk to that. Because remember, the wives don't like the handmaids. No touching. They're fallen women. Yeah. Like, a daughter shouldn't be talking to a handmaid. Agreed. The next scene is sort of June's Andy Dufresne moment. Um, I could smell the outside. Like, they did a great job of, like... I mean, not, like, physically. But, like, I was... Like, it was just such a... Like, it was the relief that she Mm -hmm. felt, I felt. And being, like, wet on your face immediately, like... Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. You know what will never stop blowing my mind? What? Is that 
Spencer and Heidi's marriage outlasted my own. And it's going strong. They are crushing it on the new hills. Good for them. Anyway. (laughs) Shout um, out to Words Unspoken Podcast, who is nice to us on Twitter from time um, to time. She's standing there and she sees sort of like, again, the very like Madeline-esque like little girls flowing into the hospital with their mothers. Yeah, and I loved this shot. The other thing I noticed in this episode particularly is that there are two shades of wife blue. Yes. Uh huh. Do you think that, like, is there a meaning behind that? Or is it just they were like, hey, okay, we here's a compromise. We won't read the Bible, but we get one more color in our palette. I, I would bet you if we looked back through all of the wife outfits we've seen, there's actually a big gradient. Yeah. Because if we think about uh, Naomi Putnam usually has like a more sapphire blue and Serena Joy has more of like a, a teal uh-huh. blue and like what you're looking at is not blue. It's cerulean and it's been picked <laughs> out for you. Anyway, I, I think it's a gradient. It's based on what kind of fabric you have access to, I guess. Oh, and potentially dye lots. I get really geeked out on dye lots, but we don't, don't have time that for is, that. But go for it. Go off. Um, <laughs> nope, I will do my own uh, podcast, so then, a dye lot of one's own. Then, um, sort of, is this where she's like, no, nah, I'll stay. Yeah, so she's <laughs> packed everything up. She's uh-huh. outside. She sees Aunt Lydia and the birthmobile is there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mm. You know what, Aunt Lydia? I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna stick it out. And Aunt Lydia's like, Yeah, do whatever you want, June. You know, it's the Outback Steakhouse. No rules, <laughs> just right. Serena's peace. <laughs> yeah, I did think it was kind of funny that she's super gung ho about that, but whatever. The next scene is Aunt Lydia comes in the hospital to pick up Janine, who has also been convalescing at the hospital. Yes, and um, I wrote the most trifling note I've ever written. <laughs> Which is, oh, yay, she gave her a clown nose. <laughs> I wrote that this was a children's book called An Eye Patch for Janine. And I, this was where I cried. I think Bizarrely, I cried too. Like, not in all of the horrific shit that was happening before, but in this moment of yeah. kindness? I don't even know. But I don't know. This weird, like, Stockholm syndrome. Aunt Lydia had chided Janine previously because she was using her hair to cover her bad eye, which was where Natalie hit her with the jar. LOL, me with forehead acne at 14. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Same but 19. So she was chided for her vanity, but then Aunt Lydia rolls in. And again, this is a testament to just like the many conflicting messages that Aunt Lydia sends to these women. But it's just like, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with like wanting to look our best. <sighs> and damn it. You spin me right round, show, like a record player, baby. <laughs> right round, right round. Because I'm sobbing. Yep. And I, I did like this sort of connection there that she, that, and I love how Madeline Brewer plays Janine because she's like so, she's genuinely stoked on this eye patch. Well, and, you know, something we didn't address before, but she thinks that Natalie is doing worse because she personally has not been praying enough yeah and i thought that was really this stark reminder of how internalized the systems of gilead are for janine i agree because she is just like no it's it's me it's all my fault so good and it's such a good like redemption not redemption but like i'm glad janine got a happy ending at least (laughs) for hey for one episode so then we end with June talking to Natalie. And to be honest, if Natalie's consciousness is still there, I don't think she would want you there, June. <laughs> like, 
I don't know how many times I have to keep saying this, but you tried to kill her. I know. And her baby. Yeah, but I guess they're trying to say, like, in Gilead, just like the Outback Steakhouse, there are no rules. Like, uh, we. Well, and I mean, the other thing that I thought was really great about the scene earlier with Janine when June was trying to basically get Janine to stab her. Ugh. Janine was like, she's one of us. And mm-hmm. that is really what June has forgotten. Yeah. In both the second and the third season. Because remember, she's the reason all the handmaids had to get like stove time. Yes. Uh, but it yeah. really, you know, she just keeps doing things that have these dire consequences on other people. Yeah. And forgetting like she could be part of this community of handmaids. Yeah. But instead, she's playing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> true. So she kind of makes the vow there over Natalie's body that the way that she's going to help out and the way that she has like snapped herself back into as much sanity as you can have is she's like, I'm going to get all these kids out and I'm going to get I, I think that's what you would want it. And it's like, mm, OK, yeah, I am. Ex- but I will say, though. This is the first time this entire season that I have felt like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Oh, wow. So it took freaking nine episodes for me to like, I almost called you. I was like, should we do two a day? Because I kind of want to know what happens. I didn't mind this. I'm really interested to see how the hell she pulls this off. And I like the point of like, Gilead should know how this feels. I think that's okay. I see actually I disagree okay because I would argue that Gilead hurts plenty because Gilead is the result of tremendous pain that's interesting too. Gilead is the result of the that's tremendous pain of being unable to have and keep children alive right. and so, like I get what she's saying again how reliable is June from this <laughs> point going forward I don't know I didn't like the optics of June telling this unconscious prop of a black woman that she's going to Harriet Tubman a bunch of kids out of America. <laughs> um, didn't love that. Yeah. And uh, it just, it kills me because I thought that the actress who plays Natalie gave one of the most stunning, like, you know, third lead performances we've seen this season. Mm-hmm. I thought she took really like difficult material yeah, and I made agree. it very human. And I'm just bummed she didn't get to do more with it. I agree. Uh, as much as I'm saying that it must have been a dream job to just like lie down. <gasps> oh, all day. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, you, you take everything on the face of it and it's like, yeah, OK, we're employing more people of color this season, which is I mean, and I think this season they're employing more people of color than they have. Yes. Over the entire and run I, of the show. I talked to Marissa Joe about this. She noticed that as well. So I agree with you. The optics aren't great, but I do feel excited. I do feel good about the last four episodes. Like, I feel like they have a goal they're pushing toward, which I don't think has really like, and mm-hmm. it's so strange to say that, like when it's been like the battle for Nicole or whatever. Mm hmm. But it hasn't felt like June has had any direction. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm excited. Yeah. So, I mean, I completely relate on that point. And I think we're in for a doozy of the next four episodes. At least I hope. Fingers crossed. 
because like maybe they're going to go to war with Canada over this general extradition treaty and Hickole question marks when it comes to Hagnes. Like, yeah. where is she? Is she going to figure into this plan? Hopefully more Bruegel. A Bruegel backstory. Maybe. Yeah. I think things are going to heat up. And um, I wanted to go deep dive into the heaven is a place on earth uh music video but we frankly do not have time so we'll do it on our <laughs> facebook page i wrote a bunch of notes about it because i'm a dork that's why we love you yeah all right so that is season three episode nine we'll be back with you next week in the meantime take care of yourself take care of your girlfriends and nolite teba stardes carborundorum dum 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 <laughs> I didn't know. Whoa. I never know if we should go second verse or not. I don't know that version. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. <laughs>